Hey everyone, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have a great show for you today. We have Vince from at USMNT underscore thoughts and at Unite to Watch on to talk about how to grow U.S. soccer's TV viewership, TV revenue in order to improve U.S. soccer as a whole and what their grassroots movement, Unite to Watch, is doing to do that. So give them a follow on Twitter in order to get into the conversation there and follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show or on Instagram at Final Third Show as well. Give us a rating, give us a follow wherever you listen to us on. We really, really appreciate it. We have, we do content like this all the time. So if you're a fan of this, if you're a fan of what we're doing on this show, hit that follow button right now and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to The Final Third. My name is AJ Tabura and I'm joined by Jack. Jack, how are you doing? Feeling good today. You know, MLS is coming back this week and yeah. Chelsea got to the semifinals of the Champions League. Yeah, first time in seven years, right? Right, yeah. It's finally finally coming back. Come on. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, hey, we're not talking about Chelsea here. <laughs> I know. Chelsea don't matter. What matters right now is MLS because we're talking about pretty much all about MLS this week for our deep dive because MLS is kicking off this Friday and I just realized we do have a special announcement for that Jack why don't you announce our watch along that we're doing this Friday yeah so uh as you know if you listen to us we're Minnesota United fans Minnesota United are heading to Seattle to take on the Seattle Sounders and AJ and I finally figured out how to work out live streaming yeah, on YouTube. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully it works out. We're going to be live streaming on YouTube for that game, a live watch along, you know. You can you can mute the commentary on, on, on the TV. You can watch along with us. It's going to be a fun time. We're super excited about it. And uh, I think it will be a fun way to kick off the season. Yeah, so if you want to find more information on that, uh, we're, this is coming out on Thursday, so it's going to be tomorrow. At Final Third Show on Twitter is where you'll find all the information about this live stream and all future live streams. But, you know, today we're talking about even cooler things. Well, I, I don't want to undersell us, but we're talking about a lot of interesting topics. Later on, we're going to be talking about some really specific MLS predictions, some MLS superlatives of, you know, Golden Boot, MVP, Signing of the Year, that sort of thing. Uh, and before that, we're going to be sitting down with Vince of at USMNT underscore thoughts on Twitter. And he is the founder of at Unite to Watch, which is a grassroots movement all about trying to grow soccer in America by trying to increase TV viewership. And he talks about the importance of TV revenue, TV viewership, getting more people involved in watching our local leagues and the U.S. national team why that's so important for all of us in the U.S. soccer community to come together and watch. So, yeah, let's go right into that right now. All right, so this week we're joined by a very special guest. He runs a very prominent Twitter account talking all about U.S. soccer, and that is at USMNT underscore thoughts, and is one of the founding members of the grassroots campaign at Unite to Watch, aimed at increasing TV ratings for local American leagues, Welcome, Vince, to the show. How are you feeling today? Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. This can be fun. 
Well, we have a couple questions to ask you today. So Jack, why don't you kick us off with the first one? Yeah. So of course, like, you know, our, our listeners are going to want to know a little bit about you and your background. So what's your background with soccer, MLS and the U.S. men's national team? Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm just like every single one of you listening to this podcast, probably, to be honest. Uh, I, I love soccer. There was there was some trigger point um, in the past where, where I really truly fell in love with the sport, um, just like everybody. Right. Like, so for, for me, there was, there was an infatuation that I had with the game in 2006. Um, I was kind of discovering it for the first time, uh, with the world cup that year. And, and I was totally like unaware of, of the hierarchy of the different teams and whatnot. I was just basically a, a hardcore, just a, a experiencing soccer for the first time in that world cup year. Um, I watched the U S go out in the group stage as everybody remembers, um, I enjoyed Italy's run to the final, uh, being of Sicilian heritage. Uh, but then sort of, you know, I followed MLS casually through about 2009, uh, when I, when I bought into the hype of, of the U S men's national team. I watched us uh, beat Spain in the Confederations Cup. Uh, then, then really, the the love moment for me was was the 2010 uh, World Cup land and Donovan's goal. Um, and I'd say that's I'd say that's when when the obsession really began. After that, man, I I wanted to know everything. Uh, I wanted to watch everything. I I haven't missed a U.S. game since since that year. Um, I followed, followed the great Barcelona teams through the years in Europe. Um, I bought season tickets to every MLS market I've ever lived in. And I've, I've just wanted to know and learn everything, everything about the sport. I, I consumed as much soccer as I could. I, I read about it, the history of the game. During my master's program, I, I studied the business of it. I wrote a ton of papers nice. um, during my master's program about the business of the sport. Watched probably like 10 to 16 hours a week. <laughs> from all over the globe for for over a decade, all while trying to to kind of view it through through our lens here in the states and ask myself questions like how how do we reach these heights that that I see, you know, France um, France going to and and Brazil and how do we what what are we missing you know what what are what are some of the key ingredients that we need you know to to accomplish, and, and you know to fast forward to today like like everyone I was I was horrified by what by what happened in Cuba in 2017. Um, I, I felt uniquely connected to that failure for some reason. I, I felt that somehow we all kind of shared some responsibility. Like, did we hold USSF accountable enough for their complacency as a Fed over the years? Uh, you know, what what could we have done to better make sure that um, that the Federation a did it was hold, held more accountable, but but b just did the right things? Again, when I'm asking myself questions of how, what do these other national teams do? How can we give it to the U S flavor, but also follow some of these prescribed things, um, that make national teams successful. Did we do enough of that as a fan base? Did we demand enough? You know, I, these are some of the questions I was asking myself after, after Cuba. Um, and so I'm still figuring out, I, I told, I, I told myself I'd be more involved and, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly how involved I can be, you know, just as a, a, a soccer fan myself, it's not like I work in this sport. But at the minimum, I, I told myself I can be engaged as a fan, as a supporter of the sport. I, I can spread awareness of some of the issues plaguing, plaguing the sport in the U.S. And, and one of them, um, I think most would agree with, is, is the television ratings, which we'll get into. Very thorough. Really appreciate you going through it. It's always nice to hear our guests' history through soccer because everyone comes from a different place. And it's really cool to hear you talk about your unique viewpoint through kind of a, 
a business lens, a kind of a, a personal investment lens throughout the past couple of years. But, you know, getting into what you were talking about, like at the end, right, TV ratings, you released a tweet in February asking people what would happen if we all committed to watching games, if we all all 24 million of the supposed soccer fans in America came together and tried to start a grassroots movement that's melded into the idea that if we increase TV viewership, it will lead to an increase in positivity within the U.S. soccer community and the U.S. soccer uh, finances through the TV deals. And you started this Twitter account at Unite to Watch. What exactly caused you to come to this realization that you need to increase TV ratings and come to the realization that you wanted to start a movement like Unite to Watch? Well, just like any other tweet that I send, it's just my thoughts, um, you know, so, so it, it, and ultimately this particular tweet that you're referring to, and we'll get into the reasons why I sent it, but it just got a lot of great positive feedback. So, so what, I'll answer your question in two parts uh, and I'll answer the second part first of why did I start the Twitter account? That's because I had a great group of people um, that, that reached out to me that said that they wanted to be a part of it and wanted to help and thought that, uh, that, that we could actually make a difference. And, and that my tweet was resonated with them. And, and ultimately at that moment, it ceased being about me and my thought and my tweet and more about us and what we're doing as a, as a collective and as a community. Um, so definitely want to shout out to everybody that's, that's reached out and has been involved so far. And some of, some of the accounts that have reached out are still anonymous, but Edwin Gaines um, has been heavily involved. And, and so as Kern saying, and, and Marcus O'Malley. And so there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of great people that have jumped in and, and wanted to help out. But so to answer your first part of, so what, what's the problem and why did I send that tweet? Soccer fandom in the U S is siloed. And, and this is something that I've, I, I mentioned throughout my master's program that I was researching and, and doing a lot of um, I did some papers on and things like this just trying to understand the business of soccer, A, globally, but B, how is it unique in the American market? Um, in the U.S., soccer fandom is siloed. And, and basically what I mean is you have an, an estimated 24 million soccer fans in the U.S. The problem is it's extremely fragmented versus other sports. You know, if you're a basketball fan, there are what 30 NBA teams. Choose one, probably your local one, or somebody that that's you know that uh, that's near and dear to your heart for some reason. Maybe your parents grew up in in Cleveland, so you're a Cavs fan. Sorry if that's the case, but <laughs> um, but in, in soccer, so, some watch the Premier League, some watch the Bundesliga, some watch Liga MX. Um, some watch MLS, some watch NWSL and only, only women's soccer. Some only watch the international game. Um, and they basically come every, every four years for world cups and that's it. So even in, in consuming some of these respective leagues, most of the time people aren't like me and watching five to 10 games a week and are obsessive about it. Maybe they tune into their, their team. Maybe they're tuning into just Real Madrid, maybe, you know, and, and they'll only watch Real Madrid and then they'll move along with the rest of their weekend or Manchester United or, or, you know, Chelsea or whoever it is. MLS has another problem that they need to solve with their own fans. In my 
you know, decade plus uh, of supporting MLS. And so, so my, my, the nature of my work, I, I, I moved around a few different cities and every city I've ever lived in, I've, I've bought season tickets to the local MLS team. And I met a lot of people over the years um, attending games as a, as a season ticket holder that I've, I, and I've just met so many fans that only pay attention to their club. They, they aren't really fans of the league at large. Uh, MLS has done such a great job. This is like the paradox, right? They, the NFL has the opposite issue. They've made, the NFL has made the experience of watching the NFL on TV so good that people aren't going to the stadium as often. And so ultimately, when you go to the stadium and ticket prices are so large, it's the other thing that um, when you go to the stadium is it is it's it's less and less families of four or five it's it's more of just like singular a couple people that that are wealthy whereas mls is the reverse option or, or the reverse problem mls has done such a great job with their in-game experience that fans would rather go to the game live um, and skip the games on television completely so so not only is mls trying to to carve out market share amongst the 24 million fans um, that are all siloed and, and trying to watch other leagues and, and get Eurocentric fans or league MX fans to watch their product. But they also have this issue of getting fans that already like their product to engage nationally. <laughs> right. So, you know, to, to, I get this question uh, a lot on Twitter, right? Like, why is this our responsibility? Isn't it MLS's job to, to position themselves well and, and come up with a market strategy and a, and a product worth watching? Um, it is. I, I'd argue that they've done that. I think that the product gets better and better. Um, as a national team fan, I, I love what they've started to do with the academies, and I want to support that effort. So you you talked a lot about you know what caused you to start Unite to Watch and why it, why it's so important. But what's the purpose of the movement itself? Like, uh, what, mm. what's the message behind it, and how does it fulfill that purpose that it sets out to accomplish? Yeah. So, so ultimately, ultimately, like uh, to, to basically answer your question of what we're doing, we'd like to improve television ratings. And, and so why is that important? It, it, this is where money is made in the sports industry in 2021. Gate, gate revenue is, is such a small piece of the pie when it comes to, to how sports organizations make money. It really comes from from television contracts, and and honestly, even more these days, international contracts. For example, the N, the NBA's deal in China, um, which has been highly politicized a bit in recent years, but is is one of the the richest deals in sports, um, and they depend on that revenue. And it's also why you see during the pandemic why a lot of these leagues can continue to play, right? Because as long as they have their their product for for television, they're still making the majority of their revenue. And the, the fans in the stadium don't, uh, the, the revenue at least, don't matter as much. Meanwhile, MLS has, has an improving product. I mentioned that. The, the national team depends on its growth. And that, that's why it's important to me, right? And I think it's, that's why it should you know, be important to a lot of people that are listening that maybe support the national team, but not MLS. MLS has an improving product. The national team depends on its growth specifically through youth integration and the academy levels. But revenues are stagnant because they can't translate this and this improved product into, into TV growth. And why is that? Because of the fan silos that we just talked about. So the question is, where, where do those silos coalesce? In the U.S., there's a significant overlap between all these silos and the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. The Eurocentric fans typically want to see 
the national team do well with some exceptions. Um, <laughs> some people don't want to, don't want the national team to do well because they're fans of other national teams, but that's fine. Um, MLS fans typically want to see the national team do well with some exceptions, international only fans, the ones that come every four years, always want to see the national team do well un unless they're fans of another country. So, so this is kind of what unite to watch is. Can we get common thinking fans to pay attention to the domestic leagues because their attention matters quite literally to the success of the national team programs, both the men's and the women's. If you want to see the women's team do well and continue to do well in the future, you have to support the NWSL because Europe is waking up to the reality that women's soccer has lots of potential and they're creating rival products. And um, I think it's called the, the Super League in, in uh, the UK. Right. Um, same, same with, with MLS and USL. If we want to continue to have those academies functioning properly and give opportunities to, to the youth in our communities and support the youth in our communities, rising the, the player pool, as we've seen recently. Um, and even though, you know, we're, the player pool is getting a lot of credit in, in Europe, a lot of those kids at least spent time in an MLS or USL academy. And I, there's a lot of different pathways to success. I don't, I, I, I don't think anybody that follows my Twitter account would call me an MLS-centric account. I'm really just focused on the national team. But there is no denying that MLS has played a part in some of the rise um, of, of the players that are doing well in Europe. If we want to continue to have those academies functioning properly, um, they need to, the revenue to support it. The, the revenue comes in the form of an improved television contract. And that television contract comes once media executives recognize that soccer fandom in this country doesn't have to be as fragmented and siloed as it has been in the past. Yeah, and with TV revenue and TV viewership, how can you say for sure that increasing TV viewership through this movement is going to cause one-to-one -one change? Because you know, we saw it in the comments of your post. I'm sure you saw it too, but there were a lot of doubters saying that, you know, there's a lot more issues at play for MLS, U.S. men's national team that are independent from TV viewership. So oh, for sure. How, how do you convince people like that, that increasing the revenue, increasing the viewership is actually going to help U.S. soccer as a whole? Yeah, no. And actually, I really appreciate that question because as a society and, and on Twitter, right, we kind of, we get in this, this mode where we're thinking that somebody is suggesting something that is going to provide universal change, right? <laughs> there is no silver bullet and, and the same, well, same way as, as the, the pro rel folks, it, it, the pro rel system is a, is a good idea, right? I, I would love to see it. It'd be something that'd be very interesting. It'd be unique to the American sports market. It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to change everything. And I'm not trying to suggest that this would change everything, mm -hmm. but what it would do is increase television contract revenue and thereby as long as it, as MLS continues on this current trajectory that it's on and and the mission that they've they've clearly pivoted to that would increase opportunities for young players in the academy systems and and increase um the amount of uh, uh of of 
of revenue that they spend on um, the academy system. You know, you it, it, if you spend percentage of your revenue on the academy and you spend a percentage of your revenue on the payroll for, for your team and the payroll for your employees in the front office, what happens if you raise the revenue and you actually are making money at some point? Obviously, those different buckets that you're spending money on will increase and you'll get better facilities, you'll get better access, you'll have better programs for reaching out to kids that are further out. Some of these programs, if you if you watched um, the BR football documentary for, S- for the SKC Academy, they have this program where they're going out and um, actually driving kids to the academy and creating access that way. What happens if you increase the revenue? Can you push that access out even further away from the SKC facilities and, and you can get kids in further? All of this matters. And, and I think that, uh, again, I'm not suggesting it's a silver bullet, but, but it, it, this is America, man. It's capitalism. Revenue matters. And whether or not people wanna, want to uh, admit it or not. And, uh, and television contracts drive revenue in sports. Yeah. And going off of that, I believe uh, the NWSL, they have a new deal with uh, CBS and Paramount Plus that's continuing on. But MLS is getting a new TV deal very soon, uh, next year even. And that has been touted as a potential watershed moment for the league and for U.S. soccer as a whole. You know, you're talking about getting more revenue so we can improve uh, both the facilities and all the things going on in U.S. soccer. In your mind, how important is that TV deal that's coming up next year? That's massively important. It's massively important. Just again, you're going to have this television contract through the 2026 World Cup. And that's just the reality. So so there is another watershed moment in that World Cup, because historically speaking, anytime a, a country hosts a World Cup, there is an increase in demand for the sport for at least three to five years after the fact. So because of this, you need to capitalize on that. So how do you make sure that A, you're, you're increasing access to your product from an MLS standpoint and NWSL standpoint? How do you make sure that you cast a wide net, you make it widely available, you can capture casual fans? That's why I don't want to see this hidden behind a subscription product. I would see that, that as, a, as a net negative ultimately for the league because it's so highly dependent still on trying to convert other soccer fans or other sports fans, excuse me, into soccer fans, um, that if you don't have that level of access of somebody just kind of able to, to come across the game, it, it's, it's going to make it more difficult to, to pull, pull fans from other sports into soccer. The other thing that is really important is, again, we talk about this revenue thing. So media executives aren't going to generate a ton of revenue towards a television. They're not going to pay a ton of money to MLS or NWSL until they have the metrics behind it. This isn't a charity mission for them. They're saying, hey, we have to sell advertising against the the rights that we purchase. So ultimately, if, if I can't sell enough advertising because of the impressions and whatnot that um, that I, uh, I, I'm able to sell. If it doesn't generate enough revenue for me, why would I pay you, pay you X number for the rights to air your games? So that's why this, these television revenues and, and television contracts are stagnant because if it doesn't make any sense to the media execs, then why are they paying extra? It doesn't make any sense. So this contract is so important 
to increase the revenue of the league. But we need to start now. We can't start after the contract because if we don't increase the rev- the ratings, then ultimately the media execs are going to be just going to continue to ignore the soccer community at large. Yeah. So it see it seems like a pretty big uh, you know a pretty big domino effect that these TV ratings can have. Like if we increase those TV ratings, then it it, it affects everything up to even the twenty twenty six World Cup and how much attention is paid to to that but you know uh one one big thing uh with all with all of this you know many soccer fans in america only watch premier league the champions league and a, there's a, a large number of folks in the u.s who just watch Liga mx so how do we right. convert them into u.s soccer or just mls usl and nwsl fans yeah, and that's the million dollar question, right? I think that if if there was an easy answer, MLS would have done it by now. <laughs> so so it's just and NWSL would have done it by now. And every every domestic league would have done it by now. But it, I think one thing that can be better capitalized, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is how there is some at least some coalescence uh, of national team fandom throughout all of those silos, at least some degree. But ultimately, what you're trying to do and what we're trying to do with Unite to Watch is take it silo by silo. So what is the reason why one silo would watch MLS? What is the one reason why one fragment would watch MLS? At this point, we're trying to tackle the problem of why don't more MLS fans that already watch the product focus on the national games? So if we can talk to the supporters groups and all the supporters unions and whatnot and say, why aren't we uniting to at least watch the national games so that you can better understand your competition, better under, better fund the league so that the league survives? You already like the product. Support the league that you like so that it continues to exist, continues to grow and thrive. And ultimately, that will lead to higher payrolls for your teams. You'll be able to purchase more, purchase more players from South America. You'll have better infrastructure for your academy systems. You'll have better players, better product, all of that. That's great. So how do you get the MLS fans that aren't watching nationally to watch nationally? I think that's an easy one. We basically just have to commit to saying, oh, you, you already like the product. Let's just unite to watch every national game this, this year. It, I, I think that one's an easy one. As for the Eurocentric fans, there's the coalescence between the U.S. men's national team. If you want to see the U.S. men's national team do well, at least support your local team not saying that you should stop watching Manchester United or stop watching Chelsea. You can do both, man. Like you can, you can support both. It's not a problem. I've been doing it for, for a decade. And I, again, I don't anticipate people being like me and watching five to 10 games a week. That's a lot. I'm obsessive, but there's, there's two games a week. You, you can't put time aside for four hours uh, of your time to support your local team, um, support your national team and, and also root for your, Euro team, that's fine. I, I don't see why more people don't do that. Um, Liga MX is a, is a little bit different. I, I generally think that the majority of people that, that follow Liga MX in the States are probably Mexican national team fans, not US national team fans. So why would you watch MLS, Chicharito, you would watch for Carlos Vela, things like that. Um, but I think MLS already does a pretty decent job at least of trying to send that message and and you know maybe it's just more of a, a media partner dilemma um than anything else because that's a whole another issue we could go down yeah and you know you you mention 
trying to trying to get people to at least commit to watching the national team, at least commit to watching the nationally broadcasted games for the local leagues. Is that the next few steps for Unite to Watch? Like what what is the direct future for Unite to Watch? And how far are you trying to grow this grassroots movement? Well, I'm trying to, so, so first things first, we're trying to create a social atmosphere to promote engagement uh, around the games as events. So we're, we're starting out on social media. Eventually we have plans to, to host virtual watch parties with, with special guests, et cetera. So this is just starting out for us. Um, and, and honestly, this movement is, it's not just us. It, it takes all of us. So I'd encourage anyone listening. If you have ideas and want to contribute and this message speaks to you, please reach out to us. We, we would love your input. We'd love to bring you on board and and ultimately have you have you help and and uh, everybody's welcome. But to kind of answer your question about like what's next for us is I again ultimately we're trying to tackle each fragment one at a time. So at this point, I if if supporters groups, supporters unions, anybody's uh, listening to this, I'm trying to to reach out to each of y'all to to kind of have this dialogue and have this discussion of how can we cross promote and cross um, cross market this and get get all the supporters groups to to basically buy in to um, to supporting the league at large and not just singularly their their club team and, and B. Yes, <laughs> at minimum, you should be watching the national team games because that's just being an educated fan. Um, I, I would highly encourage. It's not that much of a of a, a a time commitment. You're talking, you know, at most what 18 games a year um, for the national team. So it's it's really not uh, not a big time time suck. And I think if if anybody thinks that they're a U.S. fan, I, I the the four year every four year international fan. Um, I'd, I'd encourage them to to be a little bit more engaged just because what's more fun than watching the entire um, the entire story take place. This is a resurrection story yeah. that we're seeing with U.S. Sure. and Scuba, and, and it's going to be a fun outcome. Uh, that that sounds like a great immediate future, like, you know, assembling this core of supporters groups and all these other people who have great ideas on how to increase reach and promoting like, you know, virtual watch parties. Uh, but you know, it might be helpful for some of our listeners. What are some of the games, you know, that are going to be nationally broadcasted that they uh, that they should look out for, whether that's like, you know, some that might be happening this opening weekend for the season or any other ones that you can think of? Yeah, no, we'll definitely follow the the Unite to Soccer or Unite to Watch um, Twitter account that we started because we're going to be plugging and promoting each and every game that's nationally broadcasted right now. I I've got on my, on my TV right next to me is the Atlanta Alohalense uh, CCL match. So if you're not watching that and if you're not watching CCL throughout this week, you should be because they're all on FS1. But then uh, ultimately this weekend, we've got the MLS kicking off. So on Friday, yep, that's right. So, so Friday, you've got Seattle, Minnesota, that's on FS1 at 9 30 p.m eastern and then saturday you've got you've got uh lafc and austin um fc that are it's on fox at uh, at 6 p.m and that one we're specifically targeting 
uh, we're targeting all the opening matches this weekend that are broadcast nationally. And there's, there's several, I think there's four or five, but that one specifically, I would really like to kind of create an event around. I think it's going to be a great game. Austin's built a great roster for an expansion team. LAFC is one of the most fun teams to watch. It's Matthew McConaughey versus Will Ferrell, man. How can you not, yeah. how can you not love it? Yeah. Again, thank you for joining us. We learned a lot about TV viewership and what exactly Unite to Watch is doing. But would you like to, you know, plug anything else in? You know, plug the Twitter account and your uh, personal Twitter account one more time for the listeners. Yeah, no, definitely follow the the uh, the movement account Unite to Watch. Um, I'm at USMNT underscore thoughts, uh, and you can follow me personally. That's just everything, all my thoughts on, uh, from a, a U.S. soccer lens. Um, so I, I pretty much follow everything, but definitely please uh, reach out if, if you have any ideas or want to be involved in Unite to Watch. It's a, it's a movement that takes, takes a, all of us, takes the whole community. So love it. Love all the involvement that we can get. All right, cool. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you to Vince uh, or at USMNT underscore thoughts for talking to us about Unite to Watch and the importance of TV ratings in MLS and how we can grow U.S. soccer. But speaking of MLS, let's go on to some very specific superlatives for the MLS season. Where AJ and I are going to cap off our past three weeks of talking about MLS, going over some specific predictions like who's going to win the golden boot, who's going to get the most assists, which signing is going to do really great, what signing might flop, and a ton of other superlatives on here. So uh, we're super excited to start that off. So AJ, why don't you kick it off uh, for this? Because I know you you usually have me start off and I usually steal your predictions. So (laughs) uh, why don't you start talking about who you think is going to win MLS's golden boot for this season? Oh, yes. Golden boot. You know, one of the most coveted individual awards in any tournament in MLS. That is no different for me. I'm going with a past winner. It's got to be Carlos Vela of LAFC. He's done it before in 2019, scoring a league record 34 goals. And he did just start four matches last year due to injury. But he seems poised to come back in an impressive way. When I look at LAFC, I think they have the depth in most positions of the field, something that Vela will appreciate as he's always played well when he's surrounded by top-level talent like Diego Rossi. In 2019, that duo combined for 50 goals, more than some teams scored as a whole. And I think, you know, with Rossi playing really well last season and growing as a player, Carlos Vela will only get better. And most importantly, he doesn't have to play for El Tri anymore. Unlike Joseph Martinez, the other person I was thinking about picking, he won't have to play in any summer tournament or any World Cup qualifying games in June or whatever because he's going to be staying put with LAFC. Uh, Jack, that, you know, that's my prediction. I'm pretty dead set. I don't even have to explain it because we all know how impressive LAFC and Carlos Vela is. Jack, tell me you didn't pick him. Tell me you picked someone else. Oh, come on. I, I had to pick Carlos Vela. You, you know of it course. had to be done. Uh, you know, he, his return to LAFC almost boosted them to win the CCL, that which is very true, which is impressive. And, you know, I think he has what it makes what he has, what it takes to make it all happen and have another very solid season. And I also, I, I went between Joseph Martinez, Carlos Vela, and actually Alan Pulido for sporting Kansas City. Interesting. But, Interesting. uh, like, like is the case with Joseph Martinez, 
he's probably going to be called up for some summer tournaments as well, especially given how many competitions Mexico will be competing in. So I think he might get he might have some time out of the Sporting Kansas City team. And because of that, I think that he might not get as many games as Sporting Kansas City want him to be. All right. I am probably in the same boat. And I have a feeling for at least this next uh, this next prediction, we're going to be in the same boat. This is the golden ball. Usually the golden ball, I believe, is given to the best player in the tournament. But for for our purposes, we're saying a golden ball is to the person who can get the most assists in MLS. Uh, last season, I'm forgetting who it even was last season. Alejandro Pozuelo. Pozuelo of Toronto FC. Correct. That's right. So, you know, who is it going to be this season? Jack, I started last time. Why don't you take this one? Yeah, so I thought there was a few candidates for this. Uh, Nico Lodero, Sebastian Blanco, uh, Emmanuel Reynoso, and Alejandro Pozuelo. And they're all attacking mids who all have a lot to contribute to their teams. And, you know, you can call me biased all you want, but I'm going <laughs> with Minnesota's Emmanuel Reynoso. Babelo was one of the most productive players in MLS last season. He produced six assists in only nine starts and then had a further six assists in the playoffs, which is just absolutely incredible. Uh, he's got the skill and vision to produce some of the best passes of any player in MLS, and I'm backing him to get the most assists. But what kept me from picking the other options? You know, Lodero is out with, with an injury he suffered in preseason. He could miss uh, a little bit of time, and Seattle's a little bit weaker up front this year without Jordan Morris. And, you know, Sebastian Blanco is also coming back from a nasty injury, uh, which could keep him out for a few months at the beginning of the season. And uh, I'm, I'm not backing Pozuelo as much as well, just because Toronto are in sort of a rebuilding year. I, I feel like they're, they're bringing up a lot more youth. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think Reynoso has a lot more in his locker than most of these players. All right. Full disclosure, I also picked Reynoso to get the most assists. I don't think you can ignore the fact that he got six assists in only three games in the playoffs last season, like you mentioned. Like, he has just a knack for getting assists. But you know, when I look at these other players, I, I think Ladero's going to be healthy for the majority of the season. I don't think his injury is that bad. Pozuelo, I mean, I do believe Toronto is a good team. Uh, and Valeri and Blanco, I just, I just believe more in Minnesota than I do in their teams. And I think... Even though those those players are very good, and I have no doubt that they're going to rack up so many goals, so many assists, so many goal contributions in general, the thing that really, really is the X factor for me is the fact that Minnesota, more than any other Minnesota team uh, in the past five years I've seen, has been relying on number 10s to get creativity. And very, very uh, recently, Reynoso is that number 10. And you see it in the way they play, like, the attacks always have to run through him. If he has a bad game, then it's all off. He's such a central piece for Minnesota that I think, honestly, most goals are going to have some kind of contribution from him, either as a hockey assist or a direct assist. So that's why I chose him. But I'll also take this next one. This is the Golden Glove. Uh, it went to, who was it, Andre Blake last year? Right, yep. And this is a, this is a very very coveted award especially because you know i i feel like goalkeeper especially in mls might be a little bit an unsung hero just based on how much money we invest in the attack so 
I chose for this uh, season, who I think is going to be the Golden Glove winner, I, I had a couple of different options. I had Joe Willis of Nashville, Andre Blake again for Philadelphia, Eloy Room, Columbus, Stephen Fry, Seattle, and Matt Turner in New England. And I went with U.S. Men's National Team's number two, Matt Turner. He got second place last year. And the way I see it, the Revolution are in the best spot to do well defensively. He has pretty decent players ahead of him. But even more importantly, him by himself can turn the tides of games. His shot-stopping ability is unmatched. He conceded 7.27 fewer goals than expected goals against him, which is the best in MLS. He can save from point blank. And in my mind, he is going to be the best goalkeeper in MLS this season. The other guys, they just, I don't think they can compete with just his raw talent for shot stopping. Jack, who do you think is going to get the coveted Golden Glove Award? I, I went a bit of a different route because Matt Turner got second in my, in my mind. Because I think that there is a goalkeeper with a team set up before him that is just defensively minded and you're pro you can probably guess where i'm going with this i think i can i i went with joe willis uh I, a big call but he did get the most shutouts of the season last last time around and he was a big part of nashville doing really well he kept them in a lot of games and you know i i think you know andre blake he's a great goalkeeper but he benefited a ton from having a solid defense in front of him which isn't as much the case this time around, in my opinion, as it was last time, uh, last season. So, I, but I think that Joe Willis, he, he is a good goalkeeper, and uh, I, I think he could do it. Although, I, I, I do like Matt Turner a lot, so it was a really close one for me, but, you know, just because of how Nashville set themselves up, I think it's going to make Joe Willis look a lot better because of that. All right. And may it you could I could make a case for Matt Turner as well, but all right, I, all right. I, I wanted to be a little different, I guess. Yeah. I, I respect it. I respect it. I will say I for one was not expecting Joe Willis, previously of the Houston Dynamo, I know to be know. a very like decent goalkeeper, but here we are. Here we yeah, are. I don't think anyone expected it to be fair. But you know, enough about goalkeepers, I think. I'm really excited to see how those goalkeepers turn out, but I'm also excited to see who the MVP is going to be. And Jack, I want I actually want to hear you go first on this one because okay. I want to see. I feel like there's like maybe four or five front runners in yeah. terms of who we can pick. I want to see if we we're kind of in the same wavelength. I I think like a, a few top the top four contenders are Joseph Martinez, Carlos mm -hmm. Vela. Mm -hmm. uh, I put Emmanuel Reynoso in there okay, and Homer. Lucas Zellerayon from Columbus. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it comes down to these four because I, I think that these four personally are the most complete teams in the league. And because of that, I think it's, uh, it just feels logical that one of their best players win the award. Uh, and, you know, I, I wanted to pick Reynoso because I feel like he, he's like, he, he can produce some magic. And if he has a season like his half-season debut, he, he wins this without a doubt. But I feel like it, I just had to go with Carlos Vela. I, I had to for, the, for this one. Uh, LAFC are a completely different team when he plays. He literally takes the entire team to another level just by being on the pitch. And that's just what MVPs do. 
And, you know, because of that, that, that was the factor for me. I, I really could make a case for any of those players, but I, I feel like Carlos Vela takes it. All right. All right. I, I really try to go over every single team and find out who is not only going to be the most important person for their team, but also the most important person in that team's success. And I debated, I settled down on Martinez versus Vela for a while, as those are clearly the two biggest stars in MLS right now. And then I kicked myself for forgetting who won the MLS Cup last year. And hint, it wasn't those two guys. It was Lucas Zellerayan and the Columbus crew. When he plays, Columbus are very good. So good that they became the first team in MLS to win the MLS Cup final by three goals. And yeah, he got the MLS Cup uh, MVP. So obviously he's a big game player. When he plays, they're just on another level. He's only 28. He's already got one of the scariest dribbling abilities, the passing abilities in the league. And with the offseason acquisitions that the crew have made this year, no matter who he is playing with, you know he'll be able to puppeteer some magic. If crew make a deep run in any competition, it'll be because of Zella Ryan. And that's why I picked him. Jack, I also want to hear your idea for signing of the year, which is our fifth uh, superlative that we're talking about. Because there's a lot of different options. Obviously, MLS brought in a good amount of signings, some less less appealing than others, just based on the the lower budget that some teams would have uh, for transfers due to COVID nineteen. But who do you think is going to be the number one most important and impressive signing this year? The, I, I've got to say these next three categories were the toughest to decide, which are signing of the year flop of the year, and young player of the year. These were all the the most difficult ones. And, you know, there's just so many good candidates here. Uh, You know, you you have the likes of Brenner, Lucho Acosta from FC Cincinnati. Tomas Pochettino from Austin FC could be a really good acquisition. Jordi Mihalovic uh, going from Chicago to Montreal, he could transform that team. Uh, Kevin Molino joining the crew on a free transfer, that's pretty big. Uh, Alex Ring going to Austin FC after... A few seasons with NYCFC, uh, Alexander Pato from Orlando City, and I even put Ramon Abila on there. I'm not sure how much of an impact he'll have, but I, I put him on there just to represent Minnesota. But overall, and I this this was really tough, but I I put that it's out. I put Alex Ring to Austin FC. I respect being the signing so of the season because you know he's a seasoned MLS veteran presence in midfield who can lead an expansion team. And that, and I think we've seen in recent years that that's like one of the most important things an expansion team can have for success. If they have a solid veteran to to help them out, they usually do decently well. Like you can see it with Nashville SC last year. Uh, so I think you know there's so many good signings, and you can make a case for truly any of those players to be signings of the season. But I think just Alex Rain was such a good acquisition for Austin. And I think he will be the signing of the year. I think that's a very good shout. I did have Alex Ring as one of my honorable mentions, along with Molino, Alan Franco to Atlanta United, and Pato to Orlando City. But I ultimately picked Brenner of FC Cincinnati. And it might just be because he was the most expensive transfer of the, the window. 
And this might be a bold claim, but I like what Cincinnati are building in Ohio right now. They have a lot to prove, finishing dead last in the past two seasons with only 12 goals scored last season. But to me, Brenner doesn't need to win the MLS Golden Boot in order to be the signing of the year. He just needs to play a key role in an improved FC Cincinnati team. And if he can combine with Acosta, he and Cincy will be in a very good spot. He scored 17 goals last year for Sao Paulo for a reason. It's not like he has to have an amazing output to be the signing of the year for me. He just needs to prove that he can and will be the, the forward of the future for FC Cincinnati. Now, Jack, you're, you're, you're giving me a, a weird face there. We're going to move into the flop of the year. And if you have Brenner as your pick, I'm going to explode. Jack, who, who's your flop of the year? The, the, the flop for everyone listening is a new signing who we basically decided would not uh, live up to the hype, not uh, disappoint the fan base in general. That's what flop of the year really represents. Jack, take it away. Yeah, you're going to explode. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 re- I really struggled with this, but my, my reason for this, for picking Brenner from Cincinnati, it's not necessarily that I don't think he's going to be good. I think he can be good, but I think, uh, and this could just be because I'm a Chelsea fan, and this is just the perspective I'm used to now. When a team spends so much on a player with such high expectations, it can really it can really make them seem like, you know, even when they do okay, it makes them right. seem like they're terrible. It's just that they are, their hype level is so right. high. That, that's, okay. that's the only reason why, why I've picked it, uh, why I've picked Brenner, because he, he has been so hyped up. He's, he, he's, so ex- he's an expensive signing. Is it like 13 million or 13 something? 13 million, like that? yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, that's one of the biggest transfers in MLS. Like, that, like, <laughs> that, that's massive. And because of that, and just because FC Cincinnati, I'm not sure if they've done enough to, like, you know, create a system that really benefits him a ton. Lucho Acosta is a good acquisition, but I'm not sure if it's enough to really provide him enough service to get up to, to get like a ton of goals and like be everything Cincinnati wants him to be. And it, I, I think it just, the hype hurts him so much in that price tag. It, and, you know, I, I've seen this before with a ton of, of players for, for, uh, you know, Chelsea, which is kind of the perspective I'm coming at this with. And I, it it was tough because I, I probably could have made a case for a few other players, but I just think the hype it just kills it. Wow. Wow. That's 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 very tough for me to, yeah. to swallow as a closet FC Cincinnati fan oh. that I am. But I have two candidates and I really couldn't separate them because f- for similar reasons, I have them on here. First one is Kevin Cabral, a young pacey French winger signing for LA Galaxy, very recent signing actually. Uh, I don't think he'll be a full bust, but he's coming in to replace Christian Pavon, who is was a very good player, less good human being. But despite the fact that he's still pretty unproven, he could come in and do pretty well. But not only that, not only the fact that you know he is replacing a very talented winger. But he's going to have a lot of fan pressure on him because he's not a U22 initiative player. He's a full DP. 
And so the hype levels around him are heightened because of that. And if he doesn't deliver, then people are going to be looking at him saying, well, you cost us a DP spot. We couldn't sign another DP because of you. And what did you bring us? Not much. But the second player is actually also Brenner. I fooled you, Jack. I fooled oh you because I also have Brenner. I wasn't going to explode. I was going to explode because I also don't believe in Brenner. I know that's crazy. <laughs> it seems like it seems like it has to be in conflict with what I said before. But in my mind, he can be to FC Cincinnati fans the signing of the year because he brings them forward. But to everyone else looking from the outside in, they could still see him as a flop of the, the year because he's not going to change FC Cincinnati because their defense, in my mind, is still not great. Do I think that they could do really well? Yeah, they have the framework. They have really good players that they've brought in, including him and Acosta and uh, some other defensive uh, stalwarts. But is it a given that he, that the team and Brenner are going to succeed? No. And that's why I think even though Brenner could bag 10 goals and be like pretty decent, get FC Cincinnati to at least kind of the playoff bubble. To FC Cincinnati fans, that's going to be pretty good. That's going to be a signal that they're going to do well for the next coming seasons. But for MLS fans looking in, 10, 10 goals for $13 million is just not enough. And that's why I think people are going to see him as a flop of the year. I don't want to believe that but that's just how I think people are going to view it. Jack, I've been talking enough about Brenner over these past two uh, categories. Let's go on to category number seven. That's Young Player of the Year. I actually already know who your Young Player of the Year is because we talked about this beforehand, but for the listeners at home, who did you pick? Yeah, well, the, there, there's a case for so many players here because there's so many good young players in MLS. David Ochoa, Jordi Mihalovic. I put Patrick Weya in there because he was impressive in preseason. Uh, Justin McMaster, A.O. Akinola, Tanner Tessman, Jesus Ferreira, Sam Vines, Cole Bassett, Paxton Pomacall. A lot of American players here. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan Lewis, Gianluca Busio, and I could go on and on and on and on. But I think this comes down to a few players, and I picked, I kind of made a short list of Mihalovic, Akinola, Jonathan Lewis, and Gianluca Busio. And the reason for this, I think Mihalovic is almost guaranteed a start with Montreal and could provide them with a lot of much-needed service. And Akinola could get a lot more starts this season for Toronto. Uh, and Busio has been trusted with the number 10 shirt at Sporting Kansas City and could break out this season. Uh, but who really wins out in this? In my opinion, I pick Gianluca Busio. He's hmm. one of the few talents that I think will start nearly every game. And because of that, he will have a lot of time to make an impact. Plus, like the Sporting Kansas City team around him is just incredible, which will help elevate his game and could kind of stat pad a little bit for him potentially, like with some assists and stuff like that, uh, which might not be the case for someone like, say, Mihalovic at Montreal. So in, in my opinion, it's got to be Gianluca Busio. All right. All right. I kind of went in a different way because I have a lot of American players. I also have... You know some international players uh, I had in my shortlist James Sands, Cole Bassett, Luis Binks of CF Montreal, Tanner Tessman, FC Dallas, Ignacio Aliceda of Chicago Fire, and Anthony Fontana of Philadelphia Union fame. But I ultimately picked Santiago Sosa of Atlanta United 
I, I, I feel bad for picking like the big teams because I, I, I like to give some recognition to the smaller teams. But Santiago Sosa is such an interesting player. He's one of the first players to be signed on a U22 initiative deal. Uh, and I think he's going to get a lot of playing time. He's playing a very key role for Heinze, the way that he wants to line up this season as a number six. He's going to be sticking back by the center backs, but also trying to create stuff in the midfield, which gives him ample room to showcase his skills going forward. But with that, we are done with the you know individual uh, player awards. And now we're going into some of the, the team awards. These next four, eight through 11, we got the Supporter Shield winners, the MLS Cup winners, the Dark Horse team slash most impressive team, and the most disappointing team awards. Uh, Jack, why don't you remind everybody who your top uh, teams were in the East and the West? I'm assuming you picked your uh, Supporter Shield winners based on that. So why don't you explain who you picked? Yeah, my, my, top, uh, my top in each of the conferences was LAFC for the West and Columbus in the East. Uh, and, you know, overall, I, I think... You know, I, I picked LAFC. I'm not, I'm not going to dance around okay. it, honestly. I, it was going to be Columbus for me at uh, first, though. Uh, but with the injuries they sustained already in the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, their opening game, you know, losing Darlington Nagby, uh, Pedro Santos, Kevin Molino's out for two weeks as well. Or not I, two weeks, two months. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, like, they're going to be missing quite a few impact players, and it could mean their season starts off a little bit rough. And LAFC are just a solid, deep team. And I think they're among most, uh, like, one of the most complete teams. I've said that, like, three times, I feel like, uh, this segment. Uh, and they don't have to compete in the CONCACAF Champions League this time around, which could benefit them quite a lot. Uh, so for that reason, I picked LAFC to win the Supporters' Shield. Nice, nice. I went for the East. So I'll remind everybody I'm that I had sure LAFC picked, yeah. and Atlanta United... I don't know if I'm just sipping the Atlanta United Kool-Aid right now, but I have I have been so invested in learning all about Atlanta United. And I think they're just really deep in all sides to ignore. On one side, you have the likes of Joseph Martinez, Zuko Barco. We have Sosa in the midfield. You have Miles Robinson and Franco in uh in central defense. And then you have Brad Guzan goal. I guess that's fine. Whatever. He's kind of a dinosaur. He might be one of the weaker links on that team, but I have very high hopes for Atlanta United. I think that's going to be must watch TV, but supporter shield is one thing, Jack. I mean, you know, you get supporter shield. What does that get you? Do you think Philadelphia union fans would rather win the supporter shield last year or actually make it out of the first round of MLS cup playoffs? They're going to take doing well in the playoffs and that's where we bring in our MLS Cup winner. We had, I don't want to go over like all our playoff teams from last time around, but Jack, who was your MLS Cup winner? Well, I, I picked one candidate from each conference. Okay, this. sure. Like uh, the MLS Cup final. From, from the East, I picked Columbus. Uh, you know, I, you, you might be sipping the Atlanta sweet tea, but I'm, I'm sipping whatever they have in Columbus. Uh, you know, Caleb Porter just seems to be a master of playoff games. Uh, so if he makes it in, I'd, I'd expect Columbus to be one of the stronger Eastern candidates to make the cup. And from the West, I'm, I'm saying Minnesota. Make it <laughs> okay. I know, I know that Minnesota sports teams are absolutely cursed uh, in postseason matches. But after being so close last season and now having more depth, I think they can make it happen. 
But who wins between these two? But again, call me biased, but I'm saying Minnesota. Oh my Bring gosh, the dude. MLS Cup. I, I, I think they have a deep squad who can compete for it, and they don't have all the competitions to worry about, like Columbus. Like, you know, a lot of people think Columbus are going to go really deep in the CONCACAF Champions League, and if that's the case, they're going to have to, to worry about a lot more competitions than Minnesota might have to, because Minnesota might have to worry about the Open Cup. We'll see how the first three games of the season go. But, yeah, I, I think Minnesota could do it. I'm, I'm going to back I'm gonna back the Loons. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's a dangerous proposition, but I'm going to do it. It is. It is a dangerous proposition, especially because we all know not only Minnesota sports history, just Minnesota United history yeah. with choking in yeah, must-win games. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, for me, the MLS Cup winner, I didn't have one for both conferences, but I, if I had to pick uh, one from the Western Conference because my winner is in the East, I'll probably pick either Portland or LAFC. Leaning towards LAFC, I know they have the tendency to disappoint, but I think they have, they have a pretty good squad. Maybe, I don't know if they're considered stronger or weaker than uh, their 2019 season, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. My, my Eastern team, who I do think is going to win, is Orlando City. The team that Oscar Pereo is building is enlightening, to say the least. I'd grade their, I'd grade their offseason transfers as probably an A. That might be crazy considering that they lost Daryl DK. But we've seen what they can do in knockout tournaments in an MLS's back tournament. And I think that the players that they did bring in, you know, uh, Pato and some small reinvestments, you know, were pretty good. And the fact that they kept a good amount of their squad is good going forward. And I think with Daryl DK, there's two options here. You either sell him for a lot of money and you reinvest that millions and millions of dollars into your squad to really... You know, get some new players to launch you into the second half of the season, or you keep him and you destroy every single defense in the MLS Eastern Conference on your way to MLS Cup. I think Perea is one of the best coaches in MLS, and I think if I had to put a bet on a team right now, I think I would put it on Orlando City in Central Florida. That might be crazy. I don't know if that's crazy. You know what? I when you first said it, that was my initial thought. But then I, then, you know, as you explain it, I, I, I could see, I could see it. I respect it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll respect the, the choice. I mean, I could respect Minnesota United, your pick too, because yeah, I would very course, much like yeah. that to happen. But we go from maybe favorites to win MLS Cup to the dark horse teams, the teams that would be most impressive, that, that might have some lower expectations now, but we think are going to do very well either in the playoffs or just in regular season in general uh i'll take this one i i split this into different conferences uh but i have one that's like definitely like my pick for sure and in the east i have probably new england i think i mentioned this in a tweet i think that they have the ability to go even beyond what they did last year and break into the top four i think they're one of the the better teams in mls even if they didn't show that last year. I think having Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo healthy and together is going to be a really big step in the right direction. But my overall pick, Colorado Rapids in the West. Every year, I pick the Rapids to be my dark horse team, and every year, I face regret. But this is the year 
fellow Rapids fans with a talented and young squad, I think they can grind out results to not only make it high up the table, but potentially far in the playoffs. You have Bassett, Abu Bakar, Lewis, Acosta, Vines, veteran presence in Yarbrough and Jack Price. They kept their core from last year together, and they're simply building towards a really good end result. And that end result, potentially, hopefully, being a fireworks finish to end the season. Jack, who's your most impressive or dark horse team? Well, for most impressive, I, I took it, I might have taken it in a bit of a different direction than you. Like, oh yeah, sure I, thing. I, I put it in like exceeding expectations of what everyone expects. So from, from each of the conferences, uh, I, I have a dark horse can, uh, candidate like that I think will, could do really well in the playoffs. But for most impressive and maybe most uh, like kind of most improved, I, I don't know exactly. Uh, but I, I think that from the West, this team could surprise a few. And I went with Vancouver, which is strange because, you know, they've been kind of bottom feeders of the table for a few seasons now. I forgot they existed. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like most people do in, in some seasons, which no no offense, Vancouver fans. I, I really rate the, the Whitecaps, and I actually think that they could make it into the playoffs. I have them one spot outside of the playoffs in our predictions. I, I believe it was either one or two spots out. And I think that they could surprise quite a few teams this season because I think that they've kept their, their a decent core and brought in a few good players who could really help them out. And I, you know, I, I, I'm going to back them and say they could, they could impress a few and do better than a lot of people think they would. Uh, and then for Dark Horse team, I went in the same vein as you, AJ. I, I chose New England. I, I mean, come on. They, they seem to be a, the perpetual playoff underdogs, yet somehow seem to always do pretty well. And, you know, Bruce Arena, I feel like he's just going to do another random thing and just, like, take his team to, like, the, the Eastern Conference final again. Because why not? Uh, so I, 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 think, I think they could do, they could do some big things. I think they could make it to the MLS Cup, too. Uh, I don't think they're as likely to as some other teams, but I think they could surprise quite a few as well. All right. Well, I just think New England are due for an MLS Cup, given how much they've disappointed in the finals in the past. But speaking of disappointing, we got most disappointing team, teams that we think will not meet expectations or meet the expectations set from their performance last year. I'll take this one going first. I had I had a couple I really couldn't nail down. So I just listed like four and just had a short blurbs. I had Seattle Sounders. I think they have a huge lack of depth. If they go lower than last year, I wouldn't be surprised. Columbus Crew, which I think might be a surprise to some, but we've mentioned this before just even today. We've got injury concerns, especially with CCL being a competition they'd love to win. There's a lot there's a lot of precedence sets on teams going into Champions League and getting royally screwed over with injuries and stamina issues coming out of it. So maybe we could see that. San Jose, I think this might be Matias Almeida's last stand. I don't think I don't think they're going to make a big splash in the playoffs at all, if they even make it. So I, I think even the high expectations that people had for him, he's not going to meet. In Toronto FC, they're a high-quality team. But with the little of reinforcements they brought in this past offseason, a mediocre coach, no offense, and a, 
an aging core of players, it might be hard for them to reach the heights that they are expecting year in, year out since the mid-2010s. Jack, who are your mis- most disappointing team slash teams? Yeah, I, I struggled to nail down one as well. And, you know, for the East, you're, you're, you're not going to like this one. But I, I, th- I think FC Cincinnati and the Philadelphia Union are going to be disappointments uh, for different reasons. Uh, FC Cincinnati, I think it's because the acquisitions they bought in, they brought in, like, they spent millions, like, they, they had one of the biggest cash splashes of any team in MLS. And with that comes a lot of heightened expectations. And I don't think they're going to be able to live up to it, even if they do really well. Uh, again, I'm a Chelsea fan, so that probably provides some context for that. You know, if you, if you spend a lot, even if you do pretty well, it's going to feel like a disappointment for, for a lot of people especially those on the outside looking in. Uh, and then the Philadelphia Union, they've lost so much of the team that made them so successful last year. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Jim Curtin's still there, and he's a great coach. And yeah, he's a great coach, but without Brendan Aronson, without Mark McKenzie, it's going to be a lot tougher for them. Uh, so I think there's going to be some disappointment there as well. Uh, for the West, I went, I went with two... I think the Houston Dynamo might disappoint, even though like I don't think a ton of people expect a ton from them. Yeah. But I th- I think like a lot of people expect them to do better than last in the West. But I don't think they will. I think I even predicted them to win the wooden spoon. Uh and you know, their acquisitions why I I, I mentioned this uh last week, they didn't acquire any defensive depth. It's all attack. And you know, you you could just say, well, if they attack a ton, they, then they won't uh they won't they won't lose as many games, but still, they're going. I, I feel like they're going to disappoint because they haven't strengthened where they should. And then I went in the same vein as you with Seattle Sounders. You know, they're missing Jordan Morris, uh, and they're not as deep of a team as they once were. They don't have a ton of super subs who can just come in and change games for them. Uh, like, you know, you say the tragic Western Conference final from our perspective. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, I, I think they're going to disappoint a little. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't get a home playoff game. And for okay. Sounders fans, after the past, like, you know, five years or so, that will be a disappointment. All right. I respect it. I respect it. That rounds out our 11 superlatives. I can't even pronounce that word. I'm not going to try anymore. <laughs> I'm tired. Jack, what do you think about your predictions? How many do you think are actually going to end up being true or like very close to the truth out of oh, 11? Oh, probably zero. Uh, if I'm being, uh, after last week's predictions, I'm, I'm not I'm not having too much faith in my predictions. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I could get a few close to it, but these are just really tough to predict for anything. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if I got zero, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like I could get a few right. I'm feeling six. I think I can get six. Wow. Okay. Six, because some some of them I picked multiple, so I I cast a wide net, and also some of them are very subjective. Like, what is a dark horse team? Can you like really like objectively say that? I'm gonna give if if the Rapids do like pretty decently, I'll just give myself the benefit of doubt, and I'll give myself the point for that. So yeah. Fair well, enough, that yeah. rounds out our episode today, Jack. Thank you again for co-hosting the final third podcast with me is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we end this one yeah well check out our twitter as always at final third show that's where the details are going to be posted for the live watch along of uh minnesota united at seattle sounders 
that's going to be Friday at 8 p.m. Uh, so, you know, join us on there on YouTube. You can find that in our link tree, and it's going to be posted in the show notes, our YouTube channel link, I'm sure. Uh, so, you know, you can find it there. And I'm also going to do an extra shout-out for our, ho- for our uh, guest that we had on this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, at USMNT underscore thoughts and at Unite to Watch. You should follow both of those accounts. They're absolutely amazing, especially Unite to Watch if you're a fan of U.S. soccer and MLS. Yes, and as always, give us a follow and a rating wherever you listen to us on, uh, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if it's Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review and a short sentence or two on why you like the show, and we'll give you a free shout-out on next week's episode so if you do that we will really appreciate it and doing stuff like that and even telling a friend that you like the show telling your dad that you like the show really helps grow the show we have had un unintelligible growth the past couple weeks and we really appreciate everyone who's been listening so yeah uh see us again next monday for the news and predictions show and the same time same place for next week's deep dive see ya bye for now